Welcome back, I'm Peter St. Ange. This is a weekly roundup of my daily videos on the economy and freedom, where I cut through the BS and lay out with the gaslight-fueled clowns pulled out of their hats this week and what is coming next. The communist elite of the World Economic Forum are afraid. They think they're going to lose. Are they right? Have the enemies of freedom peaked? All this week, the collectivist Illuminati who make up the World Economic Forum have been hobnobbing at their annual conference in Davos, hatching their plans for a worldwide Soviet while incidentally booking every prostitute within 300 miles of Switzerland, driving the price to $4,400 per night. Not a joke. Happily, this year was different because in contrast to the Davos romps of these past few COVID-bespeckled years, the elite is scared. Just in the past week, we've had three glorious data points courtesy of the elite's very own lapdog media. So seven days ago, NBC published a loving expose on Pentagon efforts to enact a deep state coup, as in they assume they're going to lose and are preparing for Donald Trump. Then five days ago, Joe Biden's climate envoy, Swift voter John Kerry, gave a speech at Davos how, quote, no politician can stop the green transition. As in, Kerry desperately hopes the Davos-captured financial institutions now run the world and there is nothing that government by and for the people can do about it. Finally, on Friday, the New York Times summed up the malaise, publishing an article called, quote, a consensus emerges at Davos, Trump will win re-election. So if the elite's own self-assessment is true, it would mean that rarely has an ideology fallen so far so fast, from world-striding consensus to better luck next time. So what happened? In short, the Davos Collective took the world to crazy town, especially America and Europe, from open borders to unicorn farts to diversity as the new Jim Crow to front holes and chest feeders. They have poured out garbage and silenced dissent. Alas, their censorship industrial complex failed, thanks especially to Elon Musk, and the millions upon millions who sprang up to exercise their God-given right to free speech. Turns out you only need a single venue to speak for the truth to get out there, and we all answered the call. Now that we did, it turns out none of it is sticking. Voters are not buying it. Not the inflation gaslighting, not the unicorn farts, the open borders, the front holes. Not in America, not in Europe, certainly not in the rest of the world that never really drank the Kool-Aid. Some still pretend to, lest they get expelled from college or fired from Disney, or in some European countries thrown in jail for misgendering. But fear is a very fragile consensus, and it evaporates in the voting booth. So what's next? The voter backlash is coming. The totalitarians are praying their institutional capture, especially finance, will lock them in despite losing the very governments that were instrumental in those captures. They will fail because the capture was only possible with government intimidation, sympathetic regulators, bureaucrats, deep state prosecutors. If they lose, then it's down to their astroturf money versus the truth. I will take those odds any day. We are already seeing them crumble and it's spectacular. Florida just banned DEI and all of its 25 university campuses at 640,000 students. A few days ago at Davos itself, J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon, CEO of the biggest bank in the universe and hence a key leverage point for the WEF, gave a speech demanding the Davos elite listen to Trump and his voters since they've been right about the big issues. You can almost hear the sound of the WEF's most cherished champions preparing to jump ship. 
It's not your imagination, the globalist 1% elite really does hate you. Yesterday I mentioned how the Davos elite is in a panic that populism is winning. Most spectacularly with Donald Trump's historic wins in Iowa and New Hampshire, in response to which the globalists are toying with a Pentagon-led constitutional coup. Of course, it's not just America. We've seen dramatic populist winds rolling in across the West from Holland to Argentina as the inevitable election calendar finally lets the sovereign people tell the elite what they think about them. Indeed, going by polling, even France and Germany could be next, to the point that major elements of Germany's globalist uniparty is pushing to literally ban the second biggest party in the country, something Germany has not done since the 1930s. Ex-British Prime Minister Boris Johnson summed it up in a recent speech with, quote, the global wokarati are trembling violently, collapsing into a, quote, sheer gibbering funk. Heady stuff. But it raises the question why exactly voters are so violently rejecting the elites whose countries they hijack. Thankfully, a recent poll from the Committee to Unleash Prosperity lays it out in raw numbers. They commissioned a poll with the respected Rasmussen organization asking only America's 1%, so defined as people with a postgraduate degree and an income over 150000 The results will not surprise you, but they were pretty ugly. For starters, America's elite overwhelmingly believe the people have too much freedom. 70% of those expressing an opinion. By the way, non-elite voters overwhelmingly believe the opposite. 80% believe we have too little freedom. Next, the elite believes that teachers, not parents, should be deciding what children are taught, again by 70%. They overwhelmingly trust the government to do the right thing. Almost 80% think we should, quote, strictly ration gas, meat, and electricity for so-called climate change. That rises to 90% among Ivy League graduates, who are the most indoctrinated. Presumably, they assume their incomes or connections will buy their way out. It'll just be us little people eating the bugs. 70% want an immediate ban on gas stoves. 81% want gas-powered vehicles outlawed, starting with, of course, SUVs and pickups. Majorities want to ban air conditioning, non-essential air travel. That would mean effectively banning family vacations. Of course, going by current restrictions, these would not apply to private jets or luxury compounds. After all, when you can walk from your bed to your resort-style pool, there is no carbon footprint to track. Finally, and maybe this will help some of our confused media, nearly 90% of these one percenters approve of Joe Biden. Perhaps because they overwhelmingly report their finances are going great by a 4-to-1 margin. In case the cocktail party crowd wonders why regular Americans are not feeling the Biden magic. As the poll's authors sum up, people who run America, or at least think they do, live in a bubble of their own construction. So what's next? This poll was America, but I imagine the gap is similar across the West, including Europe, Argentina. 2024, by sheer coincidence, will have the most elections we've seen in decades. Literally 75% of the countries with free or partially free elections will take place this year. That's over 50 countries. I'd hazard that not in a single country will voters agree with the globalist 1%. I'm a big fan of saving Bitcoin for the long term, and the Unchained Bitcoin IRA is a great way to do that. You get the tax advantages, and if it's a Roth IRA, you're not going to pay capital gains so long as you hodl. 
Most Bitcoin IRAs make you give up control, which can expose you to exchange hacks or even relend it out like banks do. With Unchained, you control the keys to your Bitcoin, which means you always know it's there. They also provide one-on-one concierge service to walk you through it and answer any questions. Why pay more taxes than you need to? Set it up today at Unchained.com. Use promo code PETER to get $100 off a Bitcoin IRA. China's stocks are collapsing and Beijing is panicking. Last week, China's benchmark Shanghai index plunged once again, falling 5%, wiping out $500 billion in Chinese corporate equity and triggering the dreaded snowball derivatives crash. This brought the index down by 25% in just the past two years, which is jarring considering U.S. stocks were up 10%, British stocks were flat, and Japanese stocks actually rose almost a third in those two years. In other words, it's not the world, it's China. In fact, one of the best-kept secrets about China is that it's been a black hole for investors for a generation. Chinese stocks today are below the level they were in 2007. So that's 17 lost years and counting. Why simple? President Xi took the miracle economy he inherited, threw it in the gutter of government mismanagement, politicized subsidies, and authoritarian dictates. As the Wall Street Journal dryly phrased it, Xi's administration has a, quote, love-hate relationship with private companies that has fueled doubts about the country's economy. This decline is now accelerating, which is throwing Beijing's officials into panic mode because they know that there is a magic line when stocks drop so far they wipe out Chinese households. More important, they wipe out China's hilariously indebted financial system. In a recent video, I mentioned that China's swimming in debt with over 300% of GDP, so in U.S. terms, that's equivalent to almost $80 trillion of debt. Note, China has ongoing deflation driven by overcapacity in manufacturing, especially housing, meaning that the debt automatically gets bigger. So the panic kicked off with the state council, China's top ruling body, basically the emergency team. They mandated an all-of-government effort to bail out stocks, starting with tax tweaks, then banning short sales, and now moving to the big guns, so pouring money into the so-called national team of state-linked firms in the insurance and pension industry. They are reportedly even considering a 2 trillion yuan rescue package, that's about $300 billion, which is what they did last time this happened in 2015. Analysts doubt it will work this time for the simple reason that China's growth engine has been crippled for years, hidden by free government money in state-favored exporters and, above all, the housing industry. So now that those are all shaking out, as Warren Buffett used to say, when the tide goes out, you see who is swimming without a suit. So what's next? China's ratcheting toward a nationalized stock market to go with its increasingly nationalized economy. Between anemic growth and Xi's authoritarian harassment, foreign investors are already fleeing to safer shores, Indonesia, Vietnam, even Mexico. Of course, precious few are coming to America unless Joe Biden pays them, since our policymakers cannot stop crippling domestic manufacturing on behalf of climate, equity, and unions. If they could, say if Trump wins and can get Congress to act, then America could actually benefit from China's economic suicide. So yes, that's one more thing riding on the 2024 election. Millions of Americans risk losing their home insurance and car insurance as prices soar and major companies 
pull out lest they face bankruptcy. As the Wall Street Journal puts it, quote, getting insurance for the car and a home has gone from a routine expense to a do or die ordeal. It is a mess so big only Washington could make it. So what happened? In short, government policies made it cheap to build in risky places, while other policies made those places even riskier. Toss in 20% plus hikes in costs, plus an assist from the trial lawyer lobby, especially in Florida, and you've got a perfect storm for insurance, courtesy of the morons on the Potomac. I did a video on this after the Maui fires. How environmentalist fetishes about virgin nature means that huge swaths of America are now cluttered with dangerous underbrush. Essentially, government-sponsored megafires waiting to happen. Meanwhile, subsidized insurance for flood regions, again courtesy of lobbyists and earmarks, loop in another chunk of millions of homes built in areas they never should have been built. The problem is that this leaves insurers with a choice, either cover everybody and pass on the tens of billions in disaster claims to normal homes, which can mean hiking prices by 30 or 40% to cover the losses. So State Farm alone lost $13 billion in such underwriting losses last year. Or, of course, just cut them off. Cut off all the risky homes, which is never growing universe given government-fed policies. In fact, apparently the entire state of California is now too risky, with two of America's biggest insurers, State Farm and Allstate, pulling out last year. As a result, 18 million Americans are now going without home insurance, going naked in the industry lingo. Many are low income, meaning if something happens, they will lose everything. Note the fund does not stop at home. Car insurance is also in dire straits, with rates jumping by 15% in New York, 17 in New Jersey, and 30% again in California. Nationwide car insurance has gone up six times faster than inflation the past 12 months, making it 15 months in a row of double-digit increases the fastest since the roaring inflation 1970s. Now, what's driving car insurance is partly those soaring costs, including thousands from government emissions mandates, but partly it's bleed over from the housing fiasco since the reinsurers, the companies who insure insurance companies, they have to pass on the housing losses to cars. So the journal cited one woman who tried to insure two homes and her 2011 minivan for $18,000 a year. So what's next? They're already seeing entire regions of America turn into insurance deserts as companies either pull out or they quiet quit, meaning they slash advertising and make it hard to sign up. They might require the original documentation on your plumbing, for example. They do this to avoid PR blowback from abandoning those states altogether, but the effects are real. For example, in Florida, the state-run insurer of last resort is now the single biggest insurer in the state. How to fix it? It would take some radical reforms from wildfires to tort reform. Given the lobbyists and activists involved, that won't happen. So expect it to get a lot worse before it gets better. This podcast is supported by our sponsor, MoneyMetals.com, the most trusted bullion dealer and depository in the United States. MoneyMetals is known for its competitive pricing, excellent customer service, and fast delivery of physical gold and silver as well as their educational content and advocacy for sound money policies at the state and federal levels. They've set the industry standard for selling, buying, and storing precious metals. If you're looking to help protect yourself against inflation and market turmoil, I hope you'll give them a try. To learn more or to buy your physical gold and silver, go to moneymetals.com. 
Fresh GDP numbers came in and it was a blowout, the kind of blowout that only 2.7 trillion of government debt can buy. In fact, if we control for federal spending, the private economy actually shrunk a lot. Another couple blowout reports like this and Americans will be living under an overpass. First, the numbers. The Bureau of Economic Analysis reported GDP for the fourth quarter came in at 3.3% annualized, which blew away estimates of 2.0. And it brought growth for all of last year to 2.5%, which is a very healthy number on paper. Note, the numbers are preliminary, so they're subject to revision. Still, the regime media rolled out their finest adjectives. CNN called it shocking in a good way. The New York Times called it stunning and spectacular. So what's the problem? Debt. Your grandkids bought all of that and then some. To see why, in the past 12 months, the federal deficit increased by $1.3 trillion. Yet we only got half that in additional GDP. In other words, everything else shrank. It's even worse for that brave and stunning Q4. There we got just $300 billion in extra GDP for, wait for it, $834 billion of new federal debt. Remember that GDP is not measuring wealth, it is measuring spending, so production which is sold. Now mainstream media, including mainstream economics, pretends that GDP is wealth. So you'll see articles celebrating GDP as prosperity. And that's close enough when it's private firms or individuals producing more to sell more. That indeed is a very good proxy for the country getting richer. But it's actually the opposite when it's the government spending, because government's job is to take perfectly good wealth and light it on fire. That means that when GDP is growing from government spending, it is not measuring wealth, it is measuring dissipation of wealth. Essentially, the pace at which we're going Soviet, replacing private wealth with government waste. So translating that brave and stunning GDP into the real world, we are destroying wealth at rates not seen since 2008, papered over by government deficits. This actually lines up with what we've seen in jobs. In a recent video, I mentioned that over half the jobs last year were actually government and government-related social service jobs. That's jobs created. In some states, it was literally more than all the jobs created. In other words, the private sector is actually shrinking. All those government jobs, of course, are unproductive. They're not making us more prosperous as a society. On the contrary, they're taking wealth earned from productive activities and squandering them on vote buying or worse. So just think of the wealth destruction footprint of a single EPA bureaucrat. So what's next? The lapdog media will keep playing along with the government statisticians and the gaslighting academics. They'll keep trashing regular Americans for posting our grocery bills and mortgage payments praying they can maintain the illusion long enough for the next election. Fortunately, there are millions of us who can see the emperor is buck-naked. Read the whole article with charts and all at ProfSaintAnge.com. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to get next week's episode fresh in your inbox. And go to PeterSaintAnge.com to read the full weekly articles with charts and all the gory details. Okay, we'll be watching. See you next time.